as uh, as I said on Instagram, not an interviewer. Uh, just love fun. No, I hear you. Um, I'll just like, I mean, it's already recording, but I'll just chop it whenever sounds good to start, and uh, we can start chatting, man. How uh, how are you feeling post project? Dude, feeling pretty good. I mean, I didn't really suffer any injuries or anything crazy like that. So for the most part, I'm uh, kind of chilling, back to doing my thing, running around mountains and shit. And so, yeah, having a good time. <laughs> Where are you now? What are you What are you up to right now? Right now, I'm in Vegas. I've been here for like two weeks, kind of running around Red Rocks area and some of the surrounding mountains, um, just chasing a few different FKT routes and scrambling. So I was able yep. to grab four FKT so far out here, and pretty stoked right. on that. But yeah. So did you, when you're looking for this kind of stuff, uh, do you, do you look for an area and then find FKTs in that area? Or do you look for FKTs primarily and then just like cluster them? Um, for this one, it was kind of like, it kind of just depends, honestly. Like I have a bunch that are inspiring to me that I really like to chase, like bigger routes and ranges and traverses and all that kind of stuff. But I was just in Vegas and uh, I was out here for a buddy's race and long story short, ended up staying and looked at the FKT map and found a bunch that looked fun. So <laughs> just kind of went after the ones that were around the area. And there's a few more that I like to do, but it's getting pretty damn hot out here. So I've probably got yeah. a day or two. Yeah, that's super fair. Yeah. Uh, sure. And so what, uh, what are some of those routes you've been poking at? Uh, me and my partner, Aaron, we went for Mount Wilson, uh, at round trip FKT. We did a mixed gender on that one and we beat the mixed gender by like an hour, which was Jason and Ashley. Yep. Um, and then I may, might even go back for the, try to go for the overall on that, which I could move a lot faster by myself. So mm-hmm. I might try that, but also did a three peak link up with Summerlin, Woody and Gottlieb out here. That was like a two hour, nine minute push. I knocked like. 40 minutes off of that one and then a couple shorter uh like less than two mile like straight up the peak and down like a class three scramble up one and then down a pretty hairy descent but yeah a couple shorter guys much shorter than like what i usually tackle in the summer and the fall yep yeah cool man all right so for people who don't know i think a little a little bit of background is probably important because i think most of my audience <laughs> is, is an east coast audience uh, so might not be quite as familiar with what you did. Just give 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 people uh, an idea of like what the hell you did this winter. Yeah, I just climbed all of Colorado's uh, fourteen thousand foot mountains, which there are fifty eight of them that are named, but fifty nine on the winter list because some dude added one for some reason. That's a long <laughs> story that doesn't matter too much. But yeah, I climbed fifty nine of uh, Colorado's fourteeners in seventy two days through winter on a pretty pretty big snow year. And yeah, you know, Colorado is notorious for having really dangerous snowpack with avalanche conditions. So uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to be able to get out there and accomplish what I did. Yeah, dude, totally. And so this the the guy who added on the 59th is that because for people who don't know, like you're you're the second person ever to do it in a winter, correct? Second to do it in a single winter. Yeah. So uh, I think I'm the 20th winter finisher overall, or something like that, 20 or 21. But yeah, second to do it in a single winter. And so the person who added this 59th on was that the the dude the the first dude to finish it? No, actually, it was the third person to finish him in the winter overall, which was back in the uh, okay. late 90s or early 2000s or something like that. He's sure. like a, I, I guess a pretty well known mountaineer, and so he added North Massive and was like, "All right, everybody else can do it too." And so <laughs> everybody's kind of followed that since then, although it's not really. It doesn't make much sense. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like, uh, I, I'd imagine it, it hasn't been counted before because of prominence? Yeah, it's a prominence thing for sure. It doesn't, no one counts it in the summer list. It's literally just winter list. Interesting. Did, did he Did he give a, uh, a reason? You know, I didn't really dig too much into it. I just sure. saw that everybody else did it. And so I figured I'd do it too. I'm sure there is some kind of reason. Whether it's legit or not, I have no idea. <laughs> sure. Fair enough. If enough right. people do it, it becomes tradition. So that yeah. works. So, yeah, that's insane. 72 days, 58, 59, 59 mountains. What, 
what uh how many of those days were actual on trail days versus like it is too dangerous to do this right now right i uh i only hiked 36 of the 72 days how and out of those 36 days i had like 15 and a half days of hiking time gotcha like of like moving time right like total moving time out yeah yeah okay cool and all right so 36 days how many are there some big ridge link ups then yeah there's a few different ones where you can do like multiple in a day so there's like two that you can do four in a day uh like two link ups you can do four in a day pretty pretty easily i mean you kind of have to do it that way anyways and then there was a handful that were you know doubles and triples um I can't remember the exact, but there's probably like at least six doubles and maybe one or two other triples. Mm. I remember something like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I guess, okay. My, my like biggest question looking at all of this was like, I looked at your, uh, your FKT page and the only other multi-day one on there is the, the Wasatch Ridge ultimate link up, which is like two days and some hours. So what, right. what possessed you to, then just take on this like multi-month ridiculous peak bagging yeah. project. So I've actually done one other like month-long big uh, push back in two thousand or twenty-one. The uh, elevation, just, right? So that was a thirty-one day uh, just kind of grind fest in mm-hmm. Salt Lake. So it was kind of similar to that, like mindset-wise of being able to go and grind day in day out and be able to pursue something. But honestly, that this project kind of came about just out of the blue um about a year and a half or two ago i was considering going for the 14 or ski record actually yep which is usually done outside of winter it's usually done in spring because the snow sticks up high long Mm. story short i did not go for that and uh we me and aaron were driving back from texas from guadalupe after a big 24-hour fkt push and we were listening to andrew hamilton's podcast andrew is the uh kind of like the 14er guy, 14er king. He's He held the, the winter record, held, holds the summer record now, and has done Nolan's, I don't know, eight or nine times or something like that, mm-hmm. and multiple other things. Anyways, we were listening to his podcast, and I was like, I'm going to do that. And this is like a month before I started, and my foot was pretty jacked up from the effort in Guadalupe, and I kind of looked at Aaron and was like, well, if my foot's not broken, I'm going to go for the winter 14er record, and that's that. And so <laughs> foot wasn't broken and decided to jump right into it. Sure. Man, that's ridiculous. How, yeah. <laughs> when, sorry, you said when, when was that conversation? That was like very beginning of December. Very beginning of December. So it was a pretty, like a month pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Jeez. And so what is, how much, how much logistical legwork was there to, to just like get to the start line? Um, not a lot, really. I mean, I kind of had all the gear for the most part, besides just a few pieces, just from my travels in the backcountry and stuff like that throughout the past few years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I built together pretty much all the maps that I was probably going to take that at least like half the, half the 14 years you can get away with like not going in avalanche terrain. And so I built maps around that. Yep. And I mean, I, I don't know, I didn't spend very long building out these maps and sure enough, I didn't actually follow the majority of these maps the way I made them and I mm-hmm. kind of just played it by eye and ear when I was out there but now I didn't really do a whole lot I mean I kind of reached out to my sponsors and told them what was going on um had we had planned it more we probably would have tried to do like some kind of short film around it but that didn't happen so it's yeah. all good yeah I was kind of like all right I'm gonna do this and then just kind of did it but you know like the, the pre-logistics it's not a whole lot to it but you know the further I dove into the project it got way more full on with like logistics and weather chasing and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, yeah. 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 I mean, that's just for, for, for the average person, I feel like listening to that, you know, hearing that, you know, a month out, you just decide <laughs> that you're going to be the second ever person to hike the Colorado 14ers in, in a single winter. That's, yeah, it's kind of insane. What, what, yeah. like what, I know you just kind of decide to do it, but like what, yeah, what was the, what was the reason? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> hey, no, I just didn't really have anything else to do. 
<laughs> you know, I, I like I like big projects and big goals. And like I was kind of saying, I wanted to go for skiing all the 14ers at one point. I yeah. still want to ski them all. But uh, then I looked at that FKT and listened to Andrew, and I was like, huh, well, this kind of matches more of my skill set with mm-hmm. hiking, scrambling, mountaineering, backcountry skiing, all mixed into one. And so it immediately inspired me that I was like, oh, yeah, I could probably do this. And yeah, I don't know. You're in our. Uh, little mountaineering group jason made right and so i remember him yeah it's a weird group point, for me to be in yeah it's, it's, it's a funny group i don't it's not much going on in it anymore but <laughs> i remember a few months prior to the starting the project jason threw out the idea of the winter 14ers and mm-hmm. i was like i, I kind of shut it down immediately because it took andrew 84 days and i was under the assumption that he was out there like climbing every day you know chasing weather windows and turns out he did it with a family and a full-time job working <laughs> and climbing a week on week off. And I listened to his podcast and learned that. And I was like, Oh, if he did a week on week off, I mean, I got all winter. <laughs> right. So, right. So let's just at least give it a shot. But yeah, super inspiring projects because I've been wanting to do something like that. I actually haven't climbed them all in the summer yet. And so hmm. it's cool to go check out all the hard ones <laughs> <laughs> in the winter. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. And so, yeah, tell me a little, I know you said it was a, it was a really big snow winter. What, tell me about the conditions and like what you ran into and how you, how you dealt with that. Yeah. So Andrew did it on a like pretty low snow year compared to mine, like really low snow year. Not that that takes away any of uh, what he did because it comes with its own challenges, like being able to trigger avalanches easier just because there's less snow to bridge some of those layers and gaps. Mm -hmm. But like for me, it kind of was really lucky. Honestly, I think going with a lot more snow is potentially better because I was able to ski a lot more. Um, Sure. I skied pretty much all the San Juans, a handful of the Sawatch, pretty much all the Elks that, you know, I could ski uh, without putting myself in a danger. And that just makes for super fast travel. You know, I've been backcountry skiing for four seasons now. And so I've got a pretty good hang of how I move around and avalanche terrain mitigation and all that kind of shit. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I got really lucky with the snow. Like, that's probably the biggest part is the weather and what, you know, the weather's going to give you through the winter because you have no idea when you're starting this project what's going to happen and so it's kind of like a roll of the dice you know like you start and you might finish you might not you know so yeah. a lot of this depends on weather but like for instance the san juans had so much snow they were almost record-breaking and at one point you know everywhere else is like uh orange or a red light with abbey conditions like three out of five levels um for their own reasons and the San Juans had so much snow that they went green light one to five. And because so much snow was on top, there was like four or five or plus feet on top of the old persistent layer. And so it was really hard to trigger that persistent layer because there was just so much snow on top of it. So I was able sure. to go into the San Juans and just like hit them all in a week and a half or something like that. Um, and I, I think there's like 15 in the San Juans, but I was able to get them all pretty quick. And safely because there was just so much snow and that weak layer was just not being affected. So yep. there was there was that, but also like the Sawatch and the Sand Grays had pretty low snow compared to all the other ranges, and I ended up snowshoeing a lot of those uh, just because they weren't really skiable. And so that ended up being a lot of slogging and you know like knee to waist deep uh, post holing to the ground because like faceted warm snow. You know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting um yeah so okay so i i'm also one this is like i was trying to figure out how to transition this but (laughs) i don't don't really have a transition i just have another topic i want to talk about um so the the peak bagging scene in fkt for whatever reason uh like this is this is a scene that we're both very much involved in is has not gotten the same sort of uh notoriety i feel like as as some of the longer routes right so there is there is a notoriety to like the colorado 14ers the new hampshire 48 like uh, uh what's that ridiculous challenge that jason wants to do uh the 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 grand slam yeah, the Grand Slam. Stuff like that. Um, wh- what do you think... Do you think... Do you think, in a way... Because I, I think... I mean, this is coming from a very biased opinion. 
But I think peak bagging efforts are really inspiring, especially like high point kind of things. Um, but for whatever reason, they they don't get quite the same notoriety as as roots do. And I'm right. I'm interested to see what your thoughts are on that, and and like if you think that there's a a way for for peak bagging to sort of get get more notoriety, or is it just kind of a a function of of what the activity is? Yeah, it's an interesting topic. Um, I'd like to say that the reason why most of these routes get more credibility is because ultra running and trail running has been around a little longer than like yeah. the peak bagging scene in general. Um, personally, I'd love to see it grow as anybody else would that's in part of this community. I I think it's way cooler, like you said, more inspiring. You know, it's like, I don't know. I'm not really inspired to go run the PCT or the AT or anything like that. Like, I'd rather go tag all the peaks in those ranges. And mm-hmm. I think that's way harder of a task. And it should get more notoriety. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know why that – I can't imagine why that hasn't really broken through to our level yet. And I think it will. I think, you know, the more people that get into these peak bagging efforts and, like, these big mountain objectives, like, with Jason's Rocky Mountain Grand Slam, the 14ers, and, you know, all these big peak lists anywhere, I think eventually it'll get to that way uh, sure. to that point. But I think there's just some time for that because, you know, ultra running and all that's kind of, like, the big thing right now. Um, yeah. But it's weird. I don't, I don't know how to really bring more of a light to it besides just continuing to do what I do and trying yeah. to, you know, put it out there to the world that like, Oh yeah, you can go and climb all these mountains and uh, do really cool things inside of the mountains themselves. Sure. Um, then again, I think another like disconnect maybe from like the ultra runner to like someone like us that does go bag peaks. Uh, a lot of these people's bodies can't handle the, the wear and tear as mm. effectively, you know? So you throw like, some high class ultra runner out on the sand graded Cristo traverse or even like all the 14ers in a single push. I don't, uh, just not a lot of people can do that, you know? So I think it takes yeah. a special kind of person to be able to withstand what it, you know, what it takes to go and climb so many peaks in a row, whether it's winter, summer or not. Um, right. So it's like less of an audience because of that reason, I think, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'd be cool if it, <laughs> was like a real thing yeah yeah well so this is this is another uh so i don't know how it is uh, on on the rockies in the west coast but out out here a lot of the a lot of sort of the ogs in the in the multi-day fkt scene were were in the peak bagging scene so you've got like in terms of the new hampshire 48 and like the adirondack 46 you've got all these records from like the early 2000s and then just a big gap and now in the past four or five years, there's sort of there's becoming this resurgence where a bunch of people are going after multi-day peak bagging things again. So I like I wonder if I wonder if after that first wave of of kind of like pioneering people, it kind of died out a little bit. And now I wonder now if now if, if it's coming back, if it's just sort of a matter of time before it like gains more notoriety as these times get quicker and quicker. Right. I like to believe that. I mean, it's kind of the same for the 14ers. There's only like, I mean, between Andrew's current FKT on the summer 14ers, I think it was 2015. I think it was 15 plus years before, you know, someone broke that, which was him. Um, right. Something like that. And I think that's pretty, pretty common in a lot of these places. It's just such a big endeavor to go for these multi-day missions. And I, I would imagine a lot of people work real jobs and can't really yeah. just take time off to go do something like this. That might be part of it, but now, yeah, I think it, it's definitely becoming more of a thing. I mean, even Andrew said whenever I was talking to him about the winter 14ers that he had several other people reach out to him about wanting to try the winter 14ers and stuff like that. So I think the more people that do it, it'll slowly start to catch on again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's a, they're, they're cool efforts. Right. Uh, take away from anybody else's efforts and routes and long, long hike throughs, run throughs. But oh, for sure. Yeah, it's just a completely different scene. And yeah, it just takes a different skill set, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, how the. What are you. Are, are you full time athlete now? Yeah, I've got a couple of paid sponsors that are pretty much funding all my adventures for the most part. Um, yep. I'm not saving any dollars by any means. I am 
still going a little bit out of pocket to do what I like to do. But yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much just kind of chasing the full-time athlete dream and it's working out pretty well so far. So no complaints on that. Cool. And how, how did that transition happen for you? Yeah. So back when I did that vert challenge uh, in 21, I was actually working a full-time job about three weeks prior to that. And I did that for about two years there in Breckenridge. And through that two years, I was kind of dabbling in this like big mountain objective game and like kind of chasing FKTs and looking at certain things. And eventually I came to the conclusion if if I want to chase this dream and lifestyle of being a full-time mountain athlete, that I kind of just have to drop everything and go for it. And so I ended up just quitting my job with money I had saved up and going for it and breaking that vertical world record, um, 400,000 feet in a month. That kind of opened all my doors. <laughs> yeah, that's so crazy. I, I did the math out on that at some point. It was like, what is it, like 13,500 feet a day or something like that? Right. Yeah. Around <laughs> that. What yeah, was that primarily? Yeah. What was that primarily? Was it was it mostly trail running? Yeah, it was like power hiking up a steep mountain and then running down. Sure. And you said it was in yeah. Salt Lake. What was the mountain? I was doing Granger. Yeah, classic. Yeah, just the, like the thirty-four hundred feet and four-mile round trip or something like that. Yeah, is that the trail that's like literally right on the edge of the city, and it just yeah. goes straight up straight the front side of it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh god that's so ridiculous for the whole month it was really ridiculous what is (laughs) the i don't know the salt lake city too well what's the what's the weather like did you was it okay for you or were there some days where it was like it was their wettest october in like two decades or something like that (laughs) uh i left breckenridge so i could go there to get away from the snow and ended up uh hiking and running through more snowy and rainy days and i had sunny days i'm pretty sure is what it was i forget the exact numbers it's been a while but yeah it was i think i had like two perfect days of weather and then the rest were like real shitty sure (laughs) either either way too hot or really cold rain or a foot of snow that's pretty much how it went for october that's so tough and does that record still stand no someone broke it this past october i think it's at 500 now jeez that's yeah. insane do you think <laughs> is there a world where you go back for it uh i thought about it and the only way i would would be to go for uh, a million but <laughs> God. no time soon yeah that that would consist of an everest every day yeah a little bit of change and so i've done the math like i know it's possible you know i was only hiking seven to eight hours a day if that when i did my 400k so if i just doubled my hiking time i mean it's definitely possible but I just don't know if I want to do that. And it's not going to be anytime soon. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's also just a that's an insane uh commitment in terms of like how how much strain you're going to put on your body in a month right. and like what it's going to take to recover from that. Right. But that would be something special, a million feet in a month. You're pretty fucked up. <laughs> that would be so <laughs> fucked up. Oh god. <laughs> so yeah, what's uh, if that's not for a, a few years at least, what a uh, minimum. What, minimum. What's what yeah. do you think is like the next thing for you? Uh, I've already got it figured out. I'm gonna go for the summer 14 record here in a couple months. Oh, exciting! Uh, in July, I would imagine, or yeah, mid July ish, something around then. Whenever most of the snow's melted out. It's like I have this unique opportunity to attempt to go for both the winter and summer in a single year. I've already gotten the winter one, so right. I might as well at least try to get the summer one. Um, sure. And that would probably never be repeated again. I mean, the only way you can repeat getting both in a year is if you get the winter first and you got to have a luck line on, on your side for that. Mm-hmm. And then you got to be crazy enough to want to go do it again in the summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, And it's. I think there's a certain amount of uh, – I, I always thought there there there's an interesting versatility that you need to to be able to do both of those. Like you need a lot of technical skills and like a different sort of a different sort of skill set to do uh, a winter the big winter effort on technical mountains like that. And then right. you also just need to be like in order to get the summer record, you, you have to be a pretty great athlete too. So. Nice. And willing to suffer for nine days in a row. Right. What what's <laughs> the sleeping? You know. Yeah, what's the mileage on uh, um, on a summer route? 
man, I forget the mileage. I think it's around like 400. Sure. Yeah. Maybe a little more, a little less, but stiff. the vert is like 157 or something like that. Sure. So I could be off a little bit on the mileage. It might be a little less. I know my miles in the winter was like 620, mm-hmm. something like that. And so I know it's a lot less because the approaches are not as long and whatnot. And so, yeah. Yeah. A lot of miles. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's exciting. That's super yeah, so. exciting. Uh, yeah. What? Is, so, what do you? I don't know. What do you anticipate being the the hardest, the hardest thing about the summer record? Getting a good weather window, probably. Yeah, that's tough. I've heard color. I mean, I've have really never done much summer hiking in Colorado, but I've heard that it's it thunderstorms basically every day, right? Yeah, month last year is pretty much every day a couple of years before that there wasn't a lot actually crazy enough but okay um yeah i mean monsoons you start hitting the high peaks around noon one o'clock in the afternoon and so typically most people are off the summit by noon so that's kind of like the 14er rule but i don't know i think finding a good weather window is probably gonna be the hardest part because i'm gonna need about nine days so right. a lot of that's kind of uh Guess game, guessing game because you don't really know when the monsoons are going to exactly pop in. Sure. Um, so that and then being able to pretty much just grind for nine days plus without any rest for the most part. Cause the most rest you get is from driving trailhead to trailhead when someone's bringing you, you know. So it's like you might get two or three or four hours of sleep here and there, but probably mm-hmm. not. Not even, not even that, you know. It's like a lot of these trailheads are only an hour or two apart. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so what, like, oh, Lord, <laughs> that's so tough. Is there a certain amount of, like, do you have to just be willing, because of the sort of variability of monsoons, do you just have to be willing to, you know, oh, if I run into a monsoon, I'm going to sleep from noon to 3 p.m., and then that's my sleep, and now I need to, you know, go 3 p.m. to noon the next day? Yeah, I mean, that's probably the way to go about it. Um, I don't remember exactly how Andrew tackled that. I think he might have had a pretty decent weather window, and so he was able to play it pretty well. But, yeah, it just depends. I mean, noon to three sleep would be great. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, three full I, hours? Right. It's like I'm not, I'm not anticipating to honestly get any sleep for the most part. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I don't really know how that would go. I've been in a lightning storm once on top of the peak and it's really not fun and very mm. stressful. And I don't think personally I'd be willing to put myself in that kind of danger. So yeah. if something were to happen and I was close to a peak or summit, I'd probably turn around and, you know, try again some other time. Cause sure. that shit is scary. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. I feel that for sure. Yeah. Uh, Maybe there's a story there. Want to want to want to expand on on that experience? I could. Yeah, uh, me and a buddy Tyler were hiking up Superior in Salt Lake last year, um, and the storm was kind of rolling in. We couldn't tell. There was no thunder, lightning, or any precipitation. We were getting close to the peak, and uh, you could hear thunder way out in the distance. We're like, oh yeah, we're like five minutes away from the peak. No big deal. Whatever. Sure. And so we keep we keep pushing for it, and like probably ten feet. Before the summit my hair started to stand up and i could feel it and i was like fuck this and i yelled at him I was like man i'm out and we just sprinted down the mountain and as soon as we turned around lightning started just smashing the ground around us loudest craziest like noise i ever heard you could just hear like the lightning like flowing through the air and the rocks just like oh. i can't even explain how it was and it was constant like every 15 seconds bam and yeah yeah shit was really scary <laughs> so i uh i ended up getting the crown on strava for the descent off of the peak actually <laughs> and so <laughs> did nothing to motivate gnarly deceit descent and i ran really fucking fast and it was really scary and yeah i don't i don't think i'd put myself in that in that position again if i don't have to yeah yeah for sure <laughs> Dude, yeah. nothing nothing to motivate you for a strava crown quite like the the fear of right. death yeah i'll never be able to run that fast down that mountain again i can guarantee you that <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's crazy so what like you've been in salt like you've been in colorado i don't know where else you've been what what's your favorite uh favorite area out there man there's so much i love it all 
Um, the Wasatch is awesome. It gets really hot there in the summer for my preference, but like I, you know, I did the double whirl last year. That was a lot of fun. I had a great time on the whirl. Uh, Colorado is great. I mean, there's just kind of endless amounts of mountains to climb. Mm. Uh, I think there's like 634, 28 or something like that above 13,000. And so it's a lot of mountains, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I've also been in the Tetons, climbed the Grand, and a couple of the other ones like Timonot. And I don't know, I just kind of have things I want to do everywhere. Um, I haven't really been out in the Sierras or Cali much at all. So I really want to get out there and check those out here probably this summer at some point. But man, everywhere is just beautiful. Anywhere that's not in the city. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I feel that. What, uh, yeah, when you when you come to the East Coast then? <laughs> Good question. I will definitely find my way out there at some point. I don't know when that'll be. It's not on the plans for now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'll make my way out there. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, yeah. What else? What else? Um, okay. Here's here's something I've been thinking about, uh, just in in the general realm of FKTs, and it's the sort of the you can speak to this maybe as as a as a, 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 a what i would consider a professional now like you're you're doing this as a job uh, right. the the professionalization of of fkt is interesting to me in the sense yeah. of i think it's the natural progression of the sport uh but it's also a sport that started out with a bunch of like you said like a bunch of people with day jobs who are just like crushing roots in their spare time what do you think do you think the future of fkt really lies in getting in creating a a a route to for people to be professionals at it do you think do you think there's always going to be room for for amateur crushers or do you think that they're sort of going to get uh shifted out as as it becomes more of a professional sport that's a good question. You know, there's a lot of routes that I cannot tackle because I just don't have the speed for a lot of them. And that's the same for a lot of people. But I don't know. I mean, I think there will always be new routes being created, as we see almost every day. And so I think there will always be room for amateurs, you say, or quote unquote amateurs or mm-hmm. um, less skilled people to hop in before, like, people hop into these bigger ones. Um, but I think that's just kind of how it goes, right? Like, eventually, if a record gets enough uh, – variety and people are like oh yeah that's uh that's sick and people want to do it you know like the premier routes on fkt the the 10 premier routes like those keep getting more and more attention so like the more attention these routes get i think it's just gonna keep leveling up the gameplay you know the the line is gonna keep going and so i don't know i mean i I would love to see the professionalism hop into the fkt scene more like kind of like we were talking about earlier um you know with ultra running and trail running and how that's so big i think the fkt scene can really pull out a big a big strong arm for that as well because like a lot of these routes are way more unique in sense than some of these you know big big time ultra runs and so i think there will always be room for amateurs and uh, slower people to at least put the name on the maps i mean i'm not super duper fast or anything that's why yeah. i kind of go for like these bigger multi-day missions for like my big goals and like some of these some of these shorter ones I put my name stamp on, if you get someone like Jack Quinzel out in half these routes, he's gonna crush them. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Or or any other one, any other person along his level that have the skills to at least climb these mountains and scramble and bomb hard. It's like I don't know, like I did a 26 minute effort, 26 31 or something like that on a short mountain here in Salt Lake or in uh, Vegas the other day and. I broke like a minute and a half off the record, but as soon as someone else that's just got a little more speed than me, they're going to knock another minute and a half, and eventually it's going to be like a sub-20 minute FKT maybe. But sure. yeah, I think I think there's always going to be progression no matter where you look, and more certain routes are definitely going to get more attention than others. I think that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You look at the guy that's like above Jason on the thing. The guy I don't know the guy's name, but he's out there running routes like on roads, you know, like – <laughs> that's not that's not that cool yeah i feel like that's not really the point <laughs> it's not <laughs> no nah, it's to go do badass you know big mountain or big trail routes that most people don't do like adventure routes so yeah right. the adventure side of the sports just i think it takes a different kind of person than someone just that goes and runs an ultra i mean i totally agree i think that's one of the one of the big uh 
one of the big draws for so many people to FKT is the the adventure side of it. Because like at least to me, right. races feel somewhat sterile in in yeah. the like the environment. I know there's like great community camaraderie, and a lot of these races are are in really cool places and have cool terrain and all that. But it's it's not it's not a pure adventure in the sense of the way that that big root FKTs are. Right. Yeah, completely different. Yeah. I kind of done a couple like marathon races and stuff and they're fun at all, but yeah, I find much more joy and inspiration in these like bigger routes that less people are really touching, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't ever see, you know, the summer fourteen record or the winter fourteen record getting ten attempts a year. Like that'll probably never happen. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if one or two people attempt it every year or two, that'd be cool. And yeah. like Nolan's that gets it that gets a lot of attempts, but yeah, you know, like some of these will get more, some will get less. Um, mm-hmm. Fast people always win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how how the sport evolves. Like, I I wonder in uh, all all these times that, like, I I just really feel like this sport is in in its infancy so much now that we even the even the premier roots. Like, I look at those times, I'm like. Are, are we going to look at those times in 20 years and be like, wow, those were slow. And now people have done right. them way, way faster. Yeah. It's, it's gotta happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just look at like, uh, oh, what, what is it? Um, that's the long trail, the long trail in, in Vermont. It's one of the, one of the 10 premier routes. And it wasn't that long ago that the unsupported record on the long trail was like 13 days. And yeah. I'm sure people thought that was ridiculous at the time, and now it's five. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, but I do think I don't know if I've shared this on the on the podcast before, but I think unsupported is like I think supported will be lost to the amateurs a lot faster than unsupported efforts will, just because of just because of like it the the playing field becomes a lot more level when you can't have support so it's right. like there i mean there's a certain amount of resources you need regardless like to buy the proper gear and have time to do it and all that stuff but you know if you can get the time and the gear then then anyone can do unsupported stuff and do it fast which is right which is fun no i agree with that it takes a special kind of person to want to go and do a lot of these unsupported too i mean you gotta be willing to grind and grit by yourself right yeah a lot of like professional ultra runners that's not what they do you know they go to an ultra race and they have a whole crew and everything like and i've been supported too so i understand yeah same same yeah it's a completely different world like going unsupported for a mission and then supported it's just nine day difference Mm -hmm. 100% i agree with that whole amateur thing you know yeah yeah, and speaking of speaking of support, so tell me about like, sort of what your what your support system looked like on the on the winter fourteeners, and were you uh, did did you have a crew that was helping you out? Were you were you getting mountain to mountain mostly by yourself? What did that look like? Yeah, I kind of had a one person crew. Erin kind of helped me th- for the entire thing. She actually climbed twenty seven in the mountains with me to begin with, and then oh, cool. got frostbite, so oh. she ended up dropping out of the effort, but. We did like the first uh, 27 or 26 together. She jumped in for another one later on. Um, and then once she got frostbite and left, uh, I did some of them some self-supported. And then she would hop in whenever she could because she also works like a part-time job. Yeah. So she would hop in when she could and help me get place to place or whatever it may be. Um, so not really a huge support system. And then I had a couple guys on the weather front that were watching and uh, helping out with weather forecasting and weather windows and all that kind of stuff um andrew helped with logistics and he ended up coming out and climbing like four of the mountains with me so that was super sick that's but, awesome yeah i mean i i definitely had support from more than i didn't um i was also self-supported for some of it i mean it wasn't like i was going like it's not like it will be for the summer record where i need someone to drive me to the next place because i'm gonna yeah. go for it supported you know it's just a different effort yeah 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 have you um are you anticipating being paced for a lot of the summer effort uh I have no idea. <laughs> I, the only reason I say that is because I've, I like, I've done the, the last couple of years, I've done a couple of supported multi-day things and yeah. I've learned that like being the, 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 the ability to be paced and muled 
makes a huge difference. I didn't really believe it until right. Jack Jack Kenzel uh, basically showed me. But it's it's yeah, the pace different. As long as you really trust your pacers and they're competent right. and stuff like that, like it, it makes a huge difference, dude. Like time wise. Yeah, I think that'll be a thing. I learned that during like uh, Double World, I had a pacer pretty much the entire way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would imagine I will have pacers for the summer record, and I think it'll be a common or like a a, a thing that's like if you can't keep up, then obviously you just got to turn around. Like yeah, sure, pacer, you know. But uh, I think I can definitely find a, a good handful of people that'd be down to come pace for a few days and stuff like that. I would imagine a lot of them I'll be doing by myself, but mm. it'd be great to have some pacers. I'm sure Aaron will, Aaron will climb some with me and then a few other buddies that I have in mind. Yep. Cool. Uh, and back to the winter. So tell me like, what was the, what was the, what was the lowest of the low on there? Was it, were there any moments on that where you like, this is either dangerous or stupid or like, what am I doing out here? Um, the lowest actually had nothing to do with the mountain almost. Uh, I ended up getting food poisoning like day 18. And so I got sick for like three or four days and had to go home for a funeral, um, right after that. So it was like a nine day or 10 day stretch of no climbing at all. So, uh, going from like 18 days in a row or 17 days in a row of crushing peaks and then taking a week and a half off, that was pretty devastating. And it was kind of hard to get back to the grind of things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everything else, when it comes to, like, technicality and, like, thinking should I be here or not, it was pretty smooth sailing all the way to the last peak. I mean, anytime I was on something technical, I was never, like, scared or panicked or, like, froze up or anything like that. It was just uh, I was always conscious of uh, what would happen, you know, if I do mess up, like, what the consequences sure. if you slip. So it, just, it makes you extra ultra-focused on that kind of stuff, or at least for me, you know, knowing what the consequences are and being – aware uh Mm -hmm. it just made me focus more but i was never like afraid of where i was or scared or anything like that um the last day though we did climb we climbed pyramid for the final summit and andrew was pretty nervous into it so was i um we ended up we had a group of four and two of them turned around about 300 400 feet from the summit uh we were triggering avalanches off the ridge and we were having to climb those northwest aspects to get to the summit Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, two of the four turn around. One's a Himalayan guide, guides like Everest every year. And he's like, yeah, fuck this. <laughs> 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 and so me and Andrew kept pushing. And uh, we ended up finding a different way up the mountain, going up a cliff band on the southwest side, and was able to stay away from the danger for the most most part. But after triggering two avalanches and having to mitigate some of these really tight shoots and pilars, uh, knowing that they were going to slide and just being ready and holding on to things like rocks or rope, whatever it may be, yeah, it was just a lot of a lot of effort to make it happen, and so we were both like fifty fifty on whether we were going to make it or not until we got to the, the last cliff face. And so, yeah, it was the last peak of the entire project. I kind of had this weird feeling in the back of my mind the entire way through that if something were going to happen, it would be the very last peak. And I had no mm-hmm. idea what the last peak was going to be, but I just had a feeling that whatever the last peak was, if something were to happen, it would be on the last peak. And sure enough, we you know we didn't get close to anything happening, but it was it was there and it could have you know had we done one thing wrong so yeah sure yeah it sounds like you guys what, what was your background in mountaineering prior to prior to doing this because it seems like yeah it seems like you were very very competent if you could navigate those situations safely uh not a lot man i mean i've been backcountry skiing in colorado for like three seasons prior so i've been uh I got a lot of great mentors that I've skied with and they've kind of showed me the ropes of how to move around and stuff like that, what to look for and, you know, how to mitigate, navigate, avalanche drain, stuff like that. You know, besides that, I mean, I use my crampons maybe five times prior to this project. And then I used <laughs> them, you know, every other day almost for this with an ice axe and all that was pretty brand new to me, you know, using crampons on snow filled in rock and stuff like that. And so, sure. All that was pretty new, using rope at high, high altitude, like high alpine stuff. That was all new. Like, I've climbed, you know, stuff on dry rock in the summer and the fall and stuff, but never used them in a big mountaineering experience. And so I, I got to learn – I pretty much learned a lot of it while I went, if I'm being yeah. honest. Um, like, how to use my tools and be safe about it. Um, you know, I've scrambled a lot of things and climbed a bunch of stuff. So I'm, like, pretty competent in my climbing abilities, and I know what the limit is and how to, like – 
feel the limit. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you know, I just kind of go with that intuition. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. Learning, learning on the job on this kind of project. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, and, and on the 14ers, I'm just like not super familiar with the route. How, what is, what percentage of the, these mountains would you say have like a, a dedicated quote unquote trail and how many of them are sort of, you're making your own route? Um, well, in the winter, there's not really a trail for any of them. Yeah. But there are standard routes for every single one of them. Pretty much every everything has a trail, and then maybe like twelve or fifteen, maybe a few more, maybe like fifteen ish have like scrambles that you actually have to climb on. Um, class three, class four, maybe some low fifth. But yeah, I mean the majority of them are pretty simple, straightforward peaks. Honestly, uh, yeah. there's only a couple handfuls that are technical and that are considered technical, and so. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a breeze for a lot of them, you know, just dealing with weather and wind and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, there's really no trail on any of them in the winter. So. Yeah, yeah, interesting. <laughs> kind of just figure, figure it out yourself, look at maps, and there's a lot of beta. Yeah. You can dig through a lot of beta for them nowadays, but That's less sweet. beta in the winter. Yeah, yeah, imagine. Um, cool. Well... What what else? What am I what am I missing from your uh, from your effort? What uh what 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 do the people of what do the trail runners of New England need to know? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think we covered a lot of it. I think that if you want to go after bigger mountain objectives that don't include trail running, you know, to at least if you're going to do it in snowy conditions, to get some kind of avalanche knowledge education, so you're not just walking out there not knowing what you're doing um completely (laughs) and then and then practice you know it's like depending on who you are like for someone like me i don't really have anything else to do besides go climb play and whatever Mm -hmm. and so like that's kind of me learning is going out and doing things and a lot of people will have full-time jobs so it's hard to do that but yeah i would probably start with you know if you want to get the bigger mountaineering objectives finding the right mentors or classes or whatever it may be um yeah i mean always looking a way to push your limits is really what i do (laughs) Yeah, and I think, uh, I think finding mentors is important. I think, like, uh, a lot of people don't realize that we, uh, pe- people who have done these, a- again, for the most part, until this becomes a really, until peak bagging becomes a really pro-driven sector of FKT, it's mostly just people out here crushing it, you know? So, right. like, people like us, if, at least, I, I can speak for me, and I'd, I, based on my conversations with you, I feel like you're the same way. Like if someone's DMing me on Instagram, asking me for advice, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to them. <laughs> like I don't have right, anything right. better to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm always down to talk about it. You know, <laughs> so right. if anybody has any questions, it's like, I'm not going to just not share my beta with you. Yeah. That's kind of a weird thing that I've seen like a couple people that aren't like that, but then the majority of the people in our realm are, very much so like that like they want to share the information like andrew for instance you know he's the 14 record holder uh once was the winner holder before me and you know he was more than happy to share all the information with me and even help me climb a couple of the more technical peaks so it's yeah. like i don't know i think that's the way to be in this community is willing to help and watch others succeed as well yeah i i understand it i know some people who who don't publish their routes and stuff like that and like I get it to an extent if like if you're taking it as a competition you want to want to protect what you've done and you think other people should have to figure it out but at the same time i've had so many people help me and like i i wouldn't have like i think my times wouldn't be as good if it weren't for people helping me out i feel right. i feel like it's kind of on me to to like propagate that forward to the to the next wave of people going after this stuff like why why should i get help when they when why should they not get help when i did right right no i completely agree with that cool um yeah all right and then give me to to maybe finish out here give me a give me a story what's uh what's just some maybe you gave me like the the most sort of scary moment what what was something something ridiculous something fun like some wholesome tidbit i don't know what what's something fun that happened while you were out um, there well 
I got a really funny story that's like in between climbs. I love it. Cool. Yeah, me and Aaron were on our way from the San Grays back to the Alps, and we stopped in Salida to get dinner. And uh, we walked less than one block from my van to the dinner table. And when we got back to my van, I couldn't find my keys. And we were locked out of the van, nowhere in the restaurant, nowhere on the ground. Can't find them for a couple hours. Get a locksmith to let me in. Keys aren't in there. Long story short, we go to sleep, wake up the next morning, and I realized that I threw a, a handful of trash away when I walked to <laughs> the restaurant. And so I ended up dumpster diving and found my keys in the dumpster. <laughs> yeah, it, it had saved the whole project. Yeah. Now, uh, it probably saved a couple of days, but. <laughs> well, you're at least lucky that they didn't take the trash out. <laughs> That's right. I went over tough. there at like 7 a.m. and I knocked on the door and I'm like, yo, I need to dig through your dumpster. And they're like, all right, well, it's over there. <laughs> she was like, how long do you think it's going to take you? I said, I'm going to do it in less than 20 minutes. It took me like five. <laughs> Where'd you get that number? Less than 20 minutes? I just came up with it. I had an idea of how I was going to go about it. And then once I got to the trash cans, I had a better plan. Like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up all these bags and look for the trash that I threw away, look for one of those wrappers, and as soon as I see one of those wrappers, it's in that bag. Sure. So eventually, I, I found a wrapper, and my keys are in there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Dude, that's great. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's a I, – I, I love this effort. Like, that's super inspiring. Uh, I, I hope this reignites more – just like builds the stoke for peak bagging. I really think it's, it is gaining a lot of traction. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, and I hope this isn't your, your, you know, I, I hope this is the start of many multi-day FKTs oh, yeah. for you. Cause like you're getting, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're the exact kind of prototype in, insane person. That's going to be good at this stuff. So I love <laughs> it. I appreciate it, man. Cool, man. All right. Well, uh, yeah, keep in touch and we'll, uh, for sure. I, I can't wait to watch the effort this summer. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good one. We'll chat again after that. Definitely, man. All right. Cool. Uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to everyone later. Word.